Hey, Marvel's Pull List listeners, Marvel Studios' Black Widow doesn't hit theaters until May 1st, but the Marvel MasterCard wants to give you a chance to see the world premiere today. By applying for a Marvel MasterCard from now until March 15th, you'll be entered for a chance to win a trip for two to Los Angeles to attend the premiere of Marvel Studios' Black Widow. No purchase or application necessary to enter. The sweepstakes must be 18 years or older. For rules and to apply, visit marvelmastercard.com. Now remember, an application only gives you a chance to win, and the sweepstakes runs until March 15th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Their winner will get a trip for two to L.A. and get tickets to attend the premiere. ASMR, ASMR, Marvel's Pullist, this is just a sneak peek. Hello, Marvelites, you're listening to Marvel's Pullist for new comics on sale March 11th, 2020. I'm Ryan Padagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Are you a wondering, gentle listener, why Tucker and I are a-whispering? Check out this week's new solicit. Tucker, how are you? Is this a soccer jersey you are I'm wearing? I'm wearing a soccer jersey from 1996. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're just back from Chicago. And Boston, and, yes. Oh, tell me about both. They were great. Uh, saw a lot of great fans, uh, some listeners to the shows, ate some pizza, and then I went to Boston, helped announce our brand new game, Marvel Future Revolution, which is cool, and I'm in the game, wow. which is wild. You put that up on my, my Twitter, at Agent M. You can see that. It is nutty and real fun <laughs> and um i feel great uh but we are not here to talk about all the conventions happening no we have to tell you about all the comic books that are out this week from marvel lots of new issues out lots of print collections that are hitting and then new stuff hitting marvel unlimited we're going to get to all that after we get through the new books and i'm going to kick things off with amazing spider-man issue number 40 one, this is written by Nick Spencer, art by Ryan Otley, who I met officially for the first time recently at C2E2, inks by Cliff Rathburn, colors by Nathan Verbin, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I want to give a special shout out as well to Ryan and Nathan for the cover. I love a cover with word balloons on it. Yeah. I think it's so fun. It is um, something that we don't do as much anymore. It is tremendous. Uh, this one gets us into a new storyline called True Companions. We get to see a lot of boomerang in this uh, storyline here. Uh, we also get to see something cool, the Lifeline tablet. It's a weird mystical object. There's a big two-page spread in here detailing how it's been involved in various Marvel stories, which I think is cool. It is bonkers nuts. Yeah. Like, just the, <laughs> the whole thing and, like, how it's been used, who wants it, who needs it. Also... A nice return for the Lethal Legion, mm. uh, a villainous team in the Marvel Universe that doesn't get enough love these days. Yeah. So it's good to see them. And a great name. Oh, oh that gosh. team name. Yeah. So good. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Ant-Man number three. I love this book so friggin' much. Yeah. It is spectacular. It's written by Zeb Wells, art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Mike Spicer, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Nearly one of my picks each time an issue comes out because it's just so funny and it's so weird and quirky. The recap page is told by Pamela, one of the ants, and she it opens up, Pamela get no respect. Pamela M. Good worker ant. Pamela M. Best Ant, because let Ant-Man stay in Ant-Hill. <laughs> Zeb is firing on all cylinders here. He's he's hitting a lot of humor. There's also emotional bits in here, though, because you've got Scott and his daughter Cassie trying to deal with what they want to do about superheroing, about their lives, about each other. There's a great moment in here because they team up with Black Cat and Spider-Man, and Cassie's like, oh, 
other people see something good in my dad and, and she got excited. And it's a weird, gross, super funny book. Uh, hopefully you're reading it as it comes out. But if you're not, definitely put on your list for when it's fully done and you can read it all at once. Yeah, something I, that, you know, getting to know Zeb as a, a writer that I really love, and I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this because we'll talk about Spider-Ham, which he also wrote, which is out this week. Something that I've had in my mind ever since I actually interviewed Scott Aukerman, who, you know, hosts Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast and the TV show, has written a bunch of different Marvel comics. But something that he talked about is, like, when you're writing a book that's funny, when you're writing a comedy book, it's so, so crucial to have some heart to it at the same time. You know, it, it, that's what really makes it transcendent beyond just a, a simple kind of laugh. Uh, and that's something that I really feel Zeb has an incredible command on. And the heart of Ant-Man is about that father-daughter relationship. Big fan, big fan. So now we're moving on from Ant-Man to uh, a team that pops up in Ant-Man with Avengers. Avengers number 32. And it is my first pick of the week. It's by Jason Aaron, Ed McGinnis, and Francesco Mana with colors by Jason Keith and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. It is just a delight for me to see Jason Aaron, one of the best writers in the industry, incorporate a character like Namor, really, you know, putting him towards the center of his storyline, um, which this entire Avengers run has been so incredible, but really it's just that those kind of mashups and you have those with artists and writers, you have those with artists and characters, you have those with writers, you know, it manifests in a million different ways, but this is one of them that I absolutely adore seeing Jason Aaron communicate uh, uh, through Namor is just so special. I think there's a kinship, there's a kindred spirit there in a, in a really cool way. There was a bunch of great books this week, but this issue I loved. It was, however, pushed over the top to being one of my picks because of that last page, which was totally unexpected for me and something that spans the breadth of our world, I'll say, in an interesting way. It's another one of those dream combo kind of things. So to see this book going in that direction is just so exciting. Uh, okay, from one Avenger squad to another, we have Avengers of the Wastelands number three up next. This is written by Ed Brisson with art by Jonas Scharf, colors by Niraj Manan, uh, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And I really, really dig what Ed is doing here because, again, talk about giving so much weight to characters that maybe you don't know as well. Certainly, I don't know a few of these characters as well as I do some others, but these pages hit home like any other book does. It's really, really, really cool. And as this story continues to unfold, I can just feel some more like delicious villainy on the way, things like this. This issue starts out with a great scene with Doom, which I loved. Uh, yeah, this is another great issue. Uh, from one story in the future to a guy who traverses in the future and the past, let's talk about Cable number one, my first pick of the week. It is written by Jerry Duggan. It has art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and of course, it is a new X book and is designed by Tom Muller. Man, I love Cable so much. This cable is not the cable that was introduced to us 30 years ago. This is a young cable. He is, think about his timeline. If you don't know cable, he's the son of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor. Madeline Pryor is clone ish of Jean Grey, but he was a little baby raised by the mutants for a little while. Then he was infected with a techno organic virus, which started to spread on his body. So, 
Cyclops had to send him into the future in, in order to stop the virus from destroying him. So he was sent into the future to live, ended up being raised <laughs> in the future by a time-traveling Scott Summers and Jean Grey by the name of Slim and Red. They were able to raise him for a period of time. Then they came back to time. So there is a sweetness there, even though he did live in basically just a version of like post-apocalypse wasteland nightmare Earth. Uh, he had to fight continuously. But this pulls him out of that where he's probably in his late teens somewhere yeah. and shifts him into this time period where he gets to have family. So he calls Wolverine Uncle Logan or Uncle Wolverine. He hangs out with his father, Cyclops. So he's not the grizzled, hard veteran. He's kind of having a great time. At the same time, it introduces a really neat thing with a sword. We'll talk about it more on This Week in Marvel this week, coming out in a couple days. We're actually going to have Jerry on the show talking about this book, doing a little bit of spoiler talk. So this, if you listen to this before the book comes out, great. Then you can listen to This Week in Marvel afterwards, get a little bit more. But there's a giant single-page splash that'll tell you the tone of the book. It's Cable holding up this sword with pixie and armor, looking up at the sword. And he goes, I always wanted a big sword it's just he's smiling it's phil noto's beautiful art bright colors it is very different really cool okay next up after cable we have ghost rider number six this is written by ed brisson with art by juan frigari colors by jason keith and dono sanchez almara and letters by vcs joe caramagna this issue one i will say starts on long island yeah what up nice strong uh, island to no one <laughs> I love this kind of chess game that's been going on in here because we have Johnny Blaze, we have Danny Catch, who now has this fascinating relationship with the spirit of corruption. The end of last issue, we also uh, ran into Stephen Strange, which is really cool. I love the kind of mystical influences that he has on here. And then kind of swirling around all of them is Mephisto, which is just a wild card of its own. It's really, really cool reading this book and seeing how it continues to expand its influence, continues to bring more characters into the game. Yeah, I think it perfectly occupies the space that, for me, Ghost Rider should be occupying. It's this kind of dark, nighttime kind of street punky kind of atmosphere i think it's it's really great yeah another dark street punky <laughs> nightmarish book is gwen stacy number two no it's not like that at all this is about gwen stacy y'all this is written by christos gage with art by todd knock colors by rochelle rosenberg letters by vc's joe caramagna in this issue gwen stacy is trying to figure out who is uh, going after her father. What I love is how this like walks around different parts of Marvel continuity, but adds to it without breaking anything, which is a very difficult thing. It doesn't have to retcon anything. It just has to add to it and uh, build upon it, which is nice. My favorite scene in this issue is when Gwen is talking to Norman Osborn. There's just this palpable sense of tension and he's a nightmare. And uh, it's, it's wild. It's really good. Next up, we have Hawkeye Freefall number four, which is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I loved this issue. I love this series. I love everything about it. This book is exactly the kind of Matt Rosenberg book I want. It is witty. It's funny. But it also has these incredible moments of great action 
and really just great rhythm, a great timing, a great sense of pacing on a micro level in terms of the back and forth but in dialogue and then on a bigger level in terms of how you turn the page, how your eye you know goes across the kind of panel structure. Matt may capture this version of Clint Barton better than anyone else. Just like lovable, stupid man yeah. that is very good at every, pretty much everything he does, but also very bad at everything he is and is really just a dummy. There was a thing that I thought about a bunch this week, which was command or control. And by that, I mean, you know a writer or an artist could go all out. You know that they have the ability to pull out all the stops, whether that's in terms of how they're illustrating something or how a narrative is going. Like, you know where it could go. But the control and the restraint to say, uh, not yet. We'll get there. When we get there, you'll have earned it and you'll have deserved it. And we'll always, you know, it'll be even better for it. Um, that's something I thought about a lot this week. And I, I think it's something that Matt is incredibly good at. But uh, this is such a good issue for all of those reasons and more. You know who else is free falling? The Immortal Hulk, <laughs> which is our next book and my... Second pick of the week, issue number 32 of Immortal Hulk, written by Al Ewing. And um, like we had last issue, we've got pencils on the main story by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose and Bellardino Bravo, with colors by Paul Mounts. Then we have another sequence in this issue, which is drawn and colored by Javier Rodriguez, with inks by Alvaro Lopez. And we've got letters by VCs Corey Pettit. The other sequence is a Zemnu-specific sequence, and it is like three or four pages... And it's like unnerving. Mm -hmm. It's the same similar setup each time. You know, you see a bunch of TVs and different things on the TVs, but it changes and it morphs and gets more disturbing. And it's like it gets under your skin in a way that the best horror comics do the way that this issue does as well. I think there was some hubbub over the weekend about the next issue or it was this issue causing like the proofreaders to be like nauseous uh, <laughs> because of something in the pages of Immortal Hulk. And I was like, yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, it's I remember seeing Al Ewing from one of the panels at C2E2 say like that he is confident his Immortal Hulk will make a reader throw up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is, I guess, you know, reach for the stars, yeah, Al. It. But it's it's wild. This issue, we have these Zemnu sequences. So Zemnu, if you are unaware, is a Marvel character who is like a monster-type character brought in because he was originally what was called the Hulk before the Incredible Hulk showed up. And then they brought him in to be a, a sort of, you know, a big, weird character to fight against the Hulk and fight against some other characters. He's got telepathic abilities. He looks big and furry and really cute. And that is something that Al like hones in on so well. The idea of this big, furry, cute dude with power to control minds who just wants to conquer the planet. And he is now a tool for Dario Agar and the Roxxon Corporation to battle the Hulk because the Hulk is like, I'm going to destroy rocks on. I'm going to destroy the world of man and fix the planet. There's so much cool stuff going on here. Yeah. So when we get into this issue, Zemnu is now moving with his plan of like controlling people's minds. They're using uh, televisions. That's like the way he's doing it. There's this great line in the book where he's like, there are millions and billions of televisions, televisions in every room, televisions in everybody's pocket. Like he can speak to 
everyone. He can mess with everyone's minds because everyone has a screen in front of them. Also, he is a disgusting nightmare creature. There's a double page spread in this issue, which I was reading this on one of my plane rides, and I was just like, oh, no, this is a nightmare. It's brutal. It's so gross. And, like, you could, like, feel the like the cracking of bones and like mm. the movement like that like staccato and like feeling of grinding and nightmare and blood and oh there's some really interesting stuff going on because Zimdu is changing the the narrative where he's the hulk he's a, a like a, a children's tv show host and he's a, a, an avenger and he's he's just the good guy we get to see how the the world changing that Zimnu has done to people's minds is affecting numerous people. And everybody's like, yeah, I, I used to watch Zimnu when I was a kid, I think. Like, you, it's like yeah, one yeah. of those things. And so they end up talking about the Mandela effect, which is many, many people believe one thing and one thing happened, but other people don't. And there's like this mass belief of something that isn't right. true. Yeah, it's like a false memory. Yeah. yeah, and how that is like being inserted into the world. It's a wonderfully weird and fascinating and disturbing issue. There's a great conversation between Dr. McGowan and Leonard Sampson in here. McGowan has a really great breakthrough explaining what they, they've been going through because they're a trans character and like they've seen it one way and they are sick of other people telling them things. And that has set off like a klaxon almost of like, no, don't let other people tell you who you are and what you do. And then it has a last page, which I did not know was happening. And the last page image, I was like, oh man, I love this book so much. It is like a masterclass in horror, psychological storytelling, slow, deliberate, yet breakneck pacing of, of a story. It's, man, it's great. Yeah. It's really, really something special. Totally agreed. Okay, next up we have Jessica Jones, Blind Spot, number five, and it's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia DeUlis and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This issue continues this story that I think both Ryan and I really love so much. It's really cool to follow Jessica on a journey that I think, you know, I think. So we talk about adventure being a, a spirit or a sense that is really hard to capture. That's not what's happening here. But what this book has in common with that concept is I think it's really hard to genuinely put you inside a lead character's mind, inside a protagonist's mind in terms of unraveling a mystery, in terms of really going on this journey and not knowing what you're going to find until you find it alongside the character and having these red herrings, having these other things popping up all the time. So uh, as I read these in individual issues, it's really cool to, to revisit that and to think back on how I read it the first time and now how I'm reading it again, because of this was, this was of course one of Marvel's digital originals that came out a little bit ago and we adored the book then. And it's the same thing for me now. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Marvel's Spider-Man The Black Cat Strikes number three. This book is, of course, connected to Marvel Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. Written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam, art by Luca Maresca, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. If you know the story between Black Cat and Spider-Man in this game, I think it was the DLC, you know that part of the story is that Black Cat has a child and her child has been taken away and she's looking for it and she goes to Spider-Man to help. 
with the sense that the kid might be Spidey's. And what is really neat about that is in this comic, we get to see a little bit of that, but also uh, a lot of the relationship stuff from Mary Jane's perspective, which Mary Jane was such a great character in the game. I love seeing her expanded upon. And I think Dennis does such a great job of, of hitting that, all the feelings that she goes through and all the, the stuff of just being part of Spider-Man's world, but also like what her journey is. It's, Tremendous. Next up for me is Nebula number two. It's written by Vita Ayala with art by Claire Rowe, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I think Vita is doing some really incredible work with Nebula. Nebula is a character with an enormous amount of history, kind of really interwoven in some of the biggest moments ever to take place in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and Nebula ha- had the Infinity Gauntlet. How That's many right. people can say they had the Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah. Like 10, right. maybe? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I, 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 I don't know if I could think of a more kind of wild card character than Nebula. To have that all be perfectly harnessed like this book harnesses it because there's a lot of weight to every choice that Nebula makes, whether that is something that one might see as more in line with her, like her history or something that bucks against that. It's always fascinating to see. And I think this book is doing so much to pull this character into being part of the Marvel Universe in 2020 and to take advantage of all of that fascinating wild card or anti-hero or villain aspects of this character and kind of weave it seamlessly into this new updated version where it's really really fascinating stuff i don't know where it's going to end up i don't know what shade of gray this character is going to pop out as um and that's kind of the that's the the joy and delight of it yeah uh another book that is full of joy and delight it is new mutants issue number nine written by ed brisson art by flaviano love flaviano's art colors by carlos lopez letters by vc Travis Lanham, designed by Tom Muller. So we've had two stories going on here in the previous eight issues. One is in space, one is on the ground. And so now the teams are back together for the most part. We still have a contingent uh, Sunspot Cannonball out in Shi'ar space. But we've got the two groups of New Mutants starting to mingle together and get more acquainted. So this issue actually has Boom Boom and Chamber, Magma, Mirage, Karma, Magic, uh, Cypher, Mondo, and Armor, which I think is a really cool cross-generational look at what this new mutants team can be in the age of Krakoa. Ooh, have we called it the age of Krakoa? Ooh, I like that. What? I like that. I might steal that and steal capitalize it. the A yeah. in age. Yeah, oh, 100%. Because I like that a lot. Ooh. That's so good for so many reasons. Because one, I, we've been saying Dawn of X a lot, but yes. like, it's the daytime now. Like yeah. Dawn is over. We're fully in it. And like eight, like Age of is like that has like echoes of interesting copyright trade market. Whoa, Marvel's pull list. We nice. invented it. Yeah, you can have it, Jonathan. <laughs> once we get all your money, pay us for this. Uh, anyway, uh, into the story where you know there's a mutant that needs saving. This new mutant crew goes to it, and it just gets crazy weird. This the mutant that shows up has this reality warping power, which is terribly dangerous but ultimately super cool. My favorite part of this issue, though, is right at the end where the New Mutants go to get some help from another group that's on Krakoa. This group, the Mutant Liberation Front, who the MLF were enemies of the New Mutants and then enemies of X-Force back in the day. They're just jerks. They're the worst. Forearm, who is literally a dude with four arms, who is a (laughs) member of the MLF, has taken a couch and put it 
on the front lawn and is just drinking beer in a tank top on the couch outside. <laughs> I love it. But come on, man. Uh, have some dignity. Live your life a little bit better. You're on Krakoa. I love it so much. The character that they talked to at the end of the issue, I can't wait for next issue. Oh, yeah. Going from New Mutants now to Punisher, Soviet number five. It's written by Garth Ennis with pencils by Jason Burroughs, inks by Guillermo Ortego, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by Rob Steen. This continues to be, I think, a, an incredible matchup between Garth's writing and Jason's art. I think Jason is the perfect artist to jump aboard a Punisher storyline. Um, you know, that's one of the, the, the writers who has defined what the Punisher is. So uh, anytime uh, you have the opportunity to jump on on that train, you get on. All right. A train I think everybody should get on is for Spider-Ham. We oh, have yeah. issue number four out this week. We already talked about him once, but we got more from Zeb Wells this week. He's written this book with art by Will Robson, colors by Eric Arciniega, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Zeb is on fire. Like, laugh out loud in this issue. It opens up with the gathering of the Kangs. We get a bunch of Kangs coming together to have their little party. We get all kinds of different Kangs, and they, they actually explain it. It's like, yeah, we've got, you know, prime universe Kangs, but we've also got, you know, Kangs from other universes, and, and there's always going to be a Kang. And then in comes Kangaroo, the Kang from Spider-Ham's Earth, and um, he's just nuts. It is He's just puns and silliness, and all the other Kangs are super, like, bummed out by him and it's really <laughs> funny uh that at one point they're, they're like you think world domination is a joke you are a front to all kang kind and they're like exile and one of the other kings like exile is not enough whatever world birth the creature must be destroyed i will see to it personally and the other one's also like but also exile he says oh uh, yes of course also exile it's just this like funny little quick quick banter bit that's going on and you you've got this animal kang who's trying to figure out what to do and then a proper Kang goes to Spider-Ham's universe so you get this back and forth and it is just so good. He beats the snot out of all the scavengers which are the uh, the animal versions of the heroes and even the villains on Spider-Ham's Earth Earth 8311 and then we get just come on just such a great scene of the Captain America Captain America going up against Kang and he's like I I can do this all day if I can grab a couple hours of catnap that is I'm pretty bushed uh, but you start like they're playing with the MCU of it all to the point where <laughs> Captain America is standing there he's about to face off with Kang and then you just hear cap on your left <laughs> and they just lean into it it's so fun this book is so weird and silly and way over the top but man I love this book so much, it is exactly what we should be doing. Getting weird, getting silly, getting over the top with a character like Spider-Ham. It is tremendous. It is really, really good. Yeah, totally agreed. Hey, now we're entering Star Wars land with Star Wars Bounty Hunters number one. This is the third book now taking place in the aftermath of the events of Empire Strikes Back. First, we had Star Wars the main series. Then we had uh, Star Wars Darth Vader, which we'll touch on in a moment. And now we have Star Wars Bounty Hunters. It's written by Ethan Sachs with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This issue, as you might 
yes, it follows a few bounty hunters, but largely follows the exploits of Boba Fett, which is really, really cool. It's something we haven't gotten too, too much of in this era of Star Wars comics. It's really cool. Boba Fett played a big role in the first few arcs of Jason Aaron's original run, Star Wars 2015, when that got kicked off. So to see a character that famously doesn't say much in the films, you know, still after all these years has retained this enigmatic quality about him to explore that character is so cool. And uh, it's especially cool because there's this gaping hole in the Star Wars flagship series that is... It's a big Han-shaped hole because Han, of course, is in Carbonite. He's being transported over to Jabba the Hutt. With bounty hunters, I need to think about it. We kind of get to maintain that tether to what's going on with Han, with Han's body, with all of that entire corner of the universe as Luke and Leia and Lando and Chewie are off, you know, with their own machinations doing their own thing. So it's really cool. And that, that alone is worth the price of admission. It's really, really interesting exploration here. All right, let us move on to Star Wars Darth Vader, issue number two, written by Greg Pak. Amazing art by Rafael Ayanko, colors by Niraj Manan, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is called, the storyline is called Dark Heart of the Sith, and it really is perfectly titled because it gets into Darth Vader's heart and the journey that he's on as just a sad emo boy. And he, he finds <laughs> someone because his journey is like, I am going to destroy everyone who took away my Padme. And he finds someone, and I will not say what their identity is, but it's so good, and it makes perfect sense. It's one of those little nuggets that we can get out of Star Wars comics, which is like, oh, yeah, of course we can explore this. This makes perfect sense. How they filter this into the overall narrative is so good. And you add in a really wonderful droid that is sort of comedy relief, but also like narrative foil for mm-hmm. like pushing everything forward. And we see how Vader's going to go on this journey. I loved this book. And Raphael Ayanko's art, the clean lines, mm-hmm. the like evoking sadness by using certain camera angles for a character like Vader who we can't see their face. Right. It's something so important. It's you know something I think about in comics with characters who wear masks, especially masks that don't move. Where a character, if they they have a you know their face covered, you have to emote in other ways, and you can use camera angles or certain things to make it happen. And it's Raphael is doing some really spectacular work here. Agreed. On to our third Star Wars book this week. It's Star Wars: The Rise of Kylo Ren, number four. It's written by Charles Soule, with art by Will Sliney, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is a huge turning point issue. We have been unraveling the journey of Ben Solo, and for various reasons, things really change. I think this is. The moment where I think maybe the first three issues could have been titled The Fall of Ben Solo, and this is the issue where you really start to see the rise of Kylo Ren. It's really, really interesting. But what I love more than anything is how Charles and Will still communicate this complexity of the character, and that's something that's really, really difficult to control, really difficult to get across, but they do an incredible job because that's the best thing about this character. That's what I love about this character. So to see that dotted in there throughout is is so special, and uh, it's a really, really fascinating issue. 
Uh, all right. Submariner Marvel's Snapshots number one, written by Alan Bernert, with art by Jerry Ordway, colors by Espen Gruningern, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Alan Bernert, uh, novelist, not done a ton of Marvel work as far as I remember. Uh, Jerry Ordway is the, the really key one for me personally here because Jerry's done hun- literally hundreds of comics for our distinguished competition, both as artist and writer, and probably... 30 issues, 50 issues of Marvel work over a multi-decade spanning career. So to have Jerry here doing the art on this issue is so good. And he's he's like the perfect choice because Jerry does this very meticulous, old school, classic, perfect for evoking a silver or golden age feeling to his art style. You know, you look at this and it's almost like the evolution of a Bill Everett, the creator of Submariner. If Bill Everett worked with the techniques and the abilities and the time of someone in a modern style, a modern age, he would probably have vibes of this. That's so cool. Such clear, beautiful storytelling. And it follows a devastating issue of what Namor is going through. At the end of the war, uh, end of World War II, Namor has essentially started to come back but he's reeling from the things he's seen and so we get these little flashes of why he's weird why he's distant we get to see betty who is the police officer with whom namor spent a ton of time in his early adventures and seeing how they connected here and this it is just a little bit of a slice of life a little bit of deconstruction of what someone goes through as a veteran as someone who's seen things in war but through the lens of Namor, who is so proud and so unforgiving in so many ways. And he beats up a Nazi shark robot, dude. (laughs) If you don't want to buy into the book after hearing Namor fighting a Nazi shark robot guy, then I don't know what to tell you because it's just tremendous. Also, if you are an anime fan, if you like Dragon Ball Z, Namor is so similar in so many ways to Vegeta two characters I absolutely love. If that helps you, please welcome in. Nice. But from the past to a more recent past with Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality number four written by Peter David Art by Greg Land inks by Jay Lyston and colors by Frank Darmada with VCs Joe Sabino on the letters. This does take place while Spider-Man had the alien black suit, the symbiote costume. Uh, But It is this weird, twisted, alternate reality in which Doctor Strange is no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. Natasha Romanoff is the Red Cat, a sort of black cat, black widow, Mary Jane-ish mashup character. It's real weird and and funky, and and she's got like this underlying thing going on. I don't want to spoil anything, but... You can tell that Peter David is just having fun. (laughs) Now on, hey, it's my second pick of the week time. It's Thor number four, written by Donny Cates with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matt Wilson, letters and design by VCs Joe Sabino. I feel like I could have told you this was going to be my pick when I read Thor number three, just because of how that book ended and knowing what was being set up for this issue, I was just too damn excited last issue was this absolutely incredible throwdown between beta ray bill and thor it was spectacular so the best drag down drag out throwdown all that stuff drag race yeah drag race fight so awesome and then right at the end was one of my favorite like sound effect moments of like recent memory because you just get this 
enormous fwoom, and then the Lady Sif arrives, which is so cool. And that's where we begin this issue. Um, there's a really cool moment two pages in where Thor, who's just, he's coming off this giant fight, so he's jacked up still. He's still in fighting mode. He immediately throws his hammer and uh, the Lady Sif as, because Heimdall is out of the picture, she has been put in charge of the Bifrost. She pulls down a little bit of a kind of rainbow bridge curtain and just the hammer goes flying to somewhere else. There's something really cool about that sequence as well, where the way they depict it, all she does is lift her sword like mm-hmm. an inch off the ground, and it's like a quick tap. It's like she's so awesome, she just goes tip, and she stops Thor yeah. in his tracks because she's that awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. But I just love the embrace of the like just pure rainbow kind of like classic 70s Thor look of that whole thing. There is a very fascinating story unraveling with Mjolnir right now that we will continue to kind of untangle as we go. Really cool stuff. I'll just say the hammer lands at the feet somewhere uh, far away at the feet of Loki. Uh, What happens after that, you'll just have to read. It's really, really cool stuff. Um, You know, this is one of those books where I am kind of stunned that this didn't take three years to make because of the level of detail, the level of storytelling, the precision, all of the incredible, incredible hours of work that this team put into this book. You know, Nick Klein is just a, a star. And so seeing the Black Winter continue to kind of envelop this That story, last page. Whew, that last page. Come on. So awesome. What? When, without specifics, taking that classic trope and flipping it on its head with Galactus is just the coolest. Um, so, I, yeah, it's just... A dynamite first arc is going on right here. And uh, yeah, as you just said before, there is no better reason to jump on board a series than uh, than the story going on at the moment. All right, going from Thor now to uh, my last book of the week is Venom number 24. It's also written by our friend Donnie Cates with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Andy Owens, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Can I just, I want to give a shout real quick to our scheduling team, the, the publishing team, for thoughtfully putting books by the same creators out the same week so that, like, you go to the store to pick up you know, if you're a Do- if you're coming for a Donnie Cates book, you're like, I get to get Thor and Venom yeah. at the same week. It's like a treasure. If like you're you know, you want two funny books by Zeb Wells, they're out the same week. I think it it's a it's a conscious thing that they do, and I don't know that anybody would think about it if they don't look at every single title that yeah. we put out every week. Yeah. And I think it's a really smart thing that they do. Yeah, I, even I hadn't thought about that. That's that's pretty awesome. I completely agree. Hey, and if you're a big Ed Brisson fan, too, yeah. you got three on offer yeah, this week. there you go. So cool. This issue is really cool because as we continue this Venom Island story, for me, it's interesting to see something kind of brought to the foreground in a very physical, visceral way, kind of manifested in symbiotes. Something that has colored so much of Eddie Brock's journey in this series so far, which is the kind of trauma of this guy's life. I mean, it is really incredible what he goes through on a daily basis and to see the ways that he deals with that, to see how it kind of the the echo of that 
is panged out and then just like sonar comes back and just hits him even with greater force uh, is really, really incredible. I think Donnie on social media has been talking about this issue and, and this arc in general about it being like the most crazy thing that's happened yet. And that we know is a very high bar and I would completely agree. There is so much incredible stuff happening in here and of course it's all brought to you by the legend mark bagley who i read somewhere recently will turn in like three pages a day or something dude he is <laughs> is a machine and he is We've spent so, so much good. time talking about just this fact and it's still unbelievable I, it's 30 years in the game he hasn't slowed down he's only maybe sped up and yeah. he's still as good or better than that's he's the ever thing. Been. It's, it's like as good as anything. The double you'll read. page. There's a big revelatory double page spread mm-hmm. in that issue, which like I pulled back from it <laughs> because it was so exceptional and so good. All right, from the pages of Venom to the pages of X Men number eight, the final book for us to talk about this week, and nearly one of my picks. This issue is written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mahmoud Aswar, colors by Sonny Go, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Oh, this is a brood story. I'm just putting it out there. If you get squeamish at giant xenomorphic nightmare creatures, this may be a tough one to handle. And it has one of the most disturbing two-page sequences because it, like, we start zooming in on this part of the universe that's all messed up and it's gross, but it's got the Akanti, these beautiful space whales, these peaceful, beautiful space whales that just want to live. And we zoom in close and it is a husk being crawled over by the brood. And I hate this page so much. It's so gross. I'm so glad they did it. But I am like, it's stomach churning, just nastiness. But the brood are making a beeline for Earth because of something that happened in the pages of New Mutants. In the pages of New Mutants, one of the New Mutants characters grabbed something, brought it back to Earth, and that plays heavily into this storyline. Uh, it is a cool way that connects all these various books and all these stories in really fun ways. Uh, this one also includes the third Summers brother, Gabriel, who was Vulcan, and and him being part of the family again. It's a, a big fun time, but this issue is absolutely nuts. I don't want to spoil too much of it. It's got wild stuff happening both in Shi'ar space, again, tying into the pages of New Mutants, but also on Krakoa. And like, it's a Jonathan Hickman title. So it has consequences and weird stuff. And like, he's putting this forward and saying like, this is a thing that's happening. And it feels like a nightmare. And I love it. Yeah. But man, <laughs> I was sold a bill of goods that I am not getting right now. Um, uh, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week at your local comic shop. But while you're there, you can pick up some collections, uh, including Annihilation Scourge. So good. That crossover uh, spearheaded by Matthew Rosenberg, uh, one of our pals. That's uh, a Great, great story. Yeah. Uh, Black Widow, Marvel Team-Up, Dawn of X, Volume 3. So that's all the issue threes chronologically in the release order or as they start to shift a little bit by, I think it's Volume 3 or 4 or 5. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they're, they're a little bit out of order uh, numerically, but that's the way they were released in the way that um, the X team wants them read. Uh, Fantastic Four Volume 4 Thing versus Immortal Hulk. Fantastic Four Heroes Return, the Complete Collection Volume 2, History of the Marvel Universe. This should be on everyone's bookshelf. This should be in like every home in the country, in the world. In the Smithsonian. It should, yeah, they should have uh, <laughs> full museums dedicated to this book. Uh, it is. 
Perfect. Legends of Marvel Avengers, Marvel monograph, The Art of Chris Bacallo. So good. Oh, man, especially we're digging into like his Generation X stuff in here and some more. Wow. Uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot Tall Tales and Wolverine Epic Collection Inner Fury. Uh, Then uh, on Marvel Unlimited, one thing we wanted to point out uh, is that the Marvel Unlimited team is actually putting together a reading list on the app and on the website. And so uh, the stuff that we're going to talk about really quickly here, they're going to tie a new list every week. So for this week, I just looked at a couple of issues in here that I wanted to point out. Alpha Flight True North, which was an anthology book that uh, was for the 80th anniversary of just different Alpha Flight stories. So good. Mm-hmm. Uh, really gives you a great snapshot of a variety of what Alpha Flight can be. Um, then Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple number one. Great prequel to the video game, which I think if you you should read it, try to read it all and then play the game. And it really expands on, on your appreciation for the title. Then Web of Black Widow number one or just a cool Black Widow story to get you primed and ready for the movie coming out May 1st. And then uh, some classic stuff added into Marvel Unlimited issues two through through 13 of the Dazzler series. Uh, you got stories in here by Tom DeFalco, Danny Fingeroth, Frank Springer, and some really great John Romita Jr. art in those early issues. Uh, so it's super cool. That is also plenty more added to Marvel Unlimited this week. We'll have the full list for you on the site. That's it. I think uh, I think that's a wrap. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Hey, Ryan. Brad, what are you doing? Brad. Hey, Tucker. Hey, Brad, I loved your voice on that uh, episode of the J. Jonah Jameson podcast, but what? Hold on. Brad. 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 No! (laughs) First of all, guys, it's Zemnu. Zemnu. You know we watched his show all the time as kids, and I am so excited to be producing the Magic Planet show starring Zemnu, the original and only Hulk. This is Marvel, your universe. You're on Zem News, Magic Planet. Television in your home, television on your phone, television by your bed, television in your head. Get on up, boys. Who wants a burger?